Welcome to Let's Talk Trade, a podcast by the World Trade Organization. I'm Yuri Zabu Yamashita. During the pandemic, we saw how supply chains adapted to the shocks. Trading medical goods is a case in point. As time went by, masks, hand sanitizer, face shields, they went from being scarce to household items in most places. We also heard many calls to build back better, more sustainably. Governments and citizens have been discussing how work to rebound from the pandemic could set the basis for a more sustainable economy. The story of Plasticpreneur drives these two points home. They are a company in Austria, and the plastic recycling machine they produce found a new use during the pandemic. Manufacturing face shields. So how did this happen? Well, let's talk trade. Today, resilient stories. Plasticpreneur, turning waste to wonder. To get the most out of this chat, I invited a colleague to host this episode, Daniel Ramos from the Trade and Environment Division. I'm sure he'll be able to bring the sustainability angle to the fore of this chat. So, Daniel, over to you. Thank you, Yuri. Hello, everyone. My name is Daniel Ramos. I work in the Trade and Environment Division of the WCO with a variety of issues such as trade and climate change, biodiversity, circular economy, and more recently, plastic pollution. That's why I'm very excited to talk today with Søren. Hello, my name is Søren. I am the CEO and co-founder of Plasticpreneur. We as Plasticpreneur are a quite young company. We have, at the moment, we are 10 people working from the south of Austria. We are developing producing and distributing small-scale plastic recycling machines. We identified that there is a global need of access to plastic recycling because we all know plastic waste is piling up everywhere, but due to different factors and especially due to cost-efficient and simple access um, to recycling facilities or technology, um, it's quite a challenge for many locations. So that's what we're trying to solve with our technology, with our services, and with our team. We are basically taking the hard plastic, things such as basins, cups, yogurt containers, milk bottles, and then turn them into new objects. And so for instance, those are things like school supplies, rulers, abacus in East Africa, or packs. We do have cases, for instance, on the Mount Everest base camp where they're producing the relief of the Mount Everest out of, of plastic waste so that the tourists take back their waste in part of a, of a souvenir and don't leave the trash there. We have a project they're producing tiles, easy bricks, combs, necklaces, earrings, um, so jewelry. There's a whole bunch of variety and basically because the material is perfect, to produce and, and to recycle, there's almost no limitation to the objects you can produce. We are basically equipping everybody else to produce their own things out of recycled plastic. So we are not focused on producing products out of recycled plastic, but we are focused on developing and distributing the machineries and the, the molds and all the services around the technology so that people can then um, implemented themselves. That's very interesting. And how did you come up with the idea for the company? 
It all started a couple of years ago in Uganda, actually, in East Africa, where we tried to find solutions to tackle on the one side the, the issue of plastic pollution and on the other side um, the issue of or the challenge of unemployment. So we figured on the one side there is a lot of plastic waste, on the other side there's a demand for income generating um, opportunities. We saw that there is a possibility to to produce simple machinery and so on for plastic recycling. And once we established it in Uganda um, and we built it there, we actually saw that there's still a long way to go from an open source to it yourself kind of uh, machine setup up to a professional small scale recycling setup. And over the last couple of years, together with with an incredible team, we were able to yeah, to set this up and we have shipped it now to, I think, more than 60 countries. And was the, um, the waste management situation of plastic in Uganda that led you to try to find out solutions? Just to note that uh, here, the topic, uh, it's, it's quite a concern for developing countries, so it wouldn't surprise us. Yeah, it was for sure the plastic pollution we met there, but... Actually, we just wanted to really, really figure out and find solutions for the people there um, to, to create income opportunities. And are, because there are challenges, right, with recycling these things. Uh, the, like you said, a yogurt containers, uh, they need to be cleaned, etc. So I guess there's also kind of a learn by doing with um, the uh, your clients, in a sense, you have to separate this kind of plastic or this can go, this cannot go. How could you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I think that's maybe one of the most interesting things we learned over the last couple of months or years. The material, it's everywhere, but nobody really knows how to work with it or how to, to deal with that kind of thing and how to transform it into new uh, objects or into a new shape. Um, and with our simple technology, we are basically able to really bring sort of a craftsmanship to a material which is not really there. And of course, it's a learning process. And the, the whole washing and sorting process is done manually. So I'm, I'm guessing you are building a community, an uh, uh, international community of plastics uh, entrepreneurs and also craftsmen. Yes, that's what, what, what's happening, what we're trying and working together with open source platforms. You are in this process developing or exporting machines to help craftsmen out there and women out there uh, recycle their plastics and then COVID-19 hit. Could you speak about a little bit about what, what happened and how did you react and had to adapt to it? Actually, the year before COVID was more a kind of year of de development for us. So we actually really started or planned on starting hitting the market um, with 2020. So at the beginning, we made all these, these great plans and how we can target different customer segments and, and geographical places. So suddenly we were like in a shock for a couple of days and didn't know, um, where to go or what to do. We had orders which were canceled or postponed. Everybody was shocked, but we tried to look around and look for opportunities, how to move forward and what to take as the next steps. So we, we focused on or we, we realized and that although we are experts or focused on actually developing and deploying these recycling machines, we could also take the next step like all our customers do and actually produce things 
um, out of plastic. And you with this global uh, short pass of personal protective equipment, especially, which we also saw in Austria, um, we figured, well, if Austria, one of probably one of the best healthcare systems in the world is lacking or demanding for, for PPE products, then probably many, many other countries uh, face similar challenges. And in the maker community, people started 3D printing these face shields and door openers and so on. Um, and we felt like, well, we could actually do that much, much, much faster, therefore much cheaper and in much higher quantities. And in less than 48 hours, we basically designed face shields, which can be produced with our machines. And on the one side, we started producing them at our space. So we produced thousands of face shields and distributed them mainly in Austria, but also throughout Europe. And we were able to, over the months then of COVID, ship them to, I think, more than 12 countries. And over 150,000 face shields have been produced so far. And if we go back to why we actually started everything, we could create more than, I think, 120 income opportunities in these countries during a global pandemic where basically everything is shut down. So that was for us uh, a big case or also a good proof that once you have identified the right products, you can produce them basically everywhere in, in high quantities and take on the one side plastic waste as a valuable resource and on the other side, create income opportunities. I'm trying to think, because at the beginning, we were all desperately looking for personal protective equipment. There was a clear shortage. So I guess your innovation and your product was really well accepted. But then over time, did you encounter new requirements to respect? Yes. So right from the beginning, once we started, it was very important for us that we fulfill all necessary certification and standards. So the WHO gave out some guidelines, um, which we followed. They were tested and certified. Um, so we were able to basically, um, sell them on the Austrian market. On the one side, we do have a certification partner, which helps us certify all our machines. So the access to at least the knowledge and, and the, the, the people was, was there. Uh, otherwise it wouldn't have been possible to do, but still we try to, to keep the, the best certification criteria as possible. How did you feel personally um, being part of, of the solution of this combat to, to a pandemic that was hitting and, and causing so much suffering? I think at the beginning, we were more focused on this income opportunities, generating income opportunities um, during that time. I mean, most of the countries where we ship them to are in Eastern Africa and Western Africa. So we felt like, okay, we can at least help some people um, generate income during that hard times. But now over looking back at several months and tens of thousands of these facials being produced, thinking of that they are used by frontline workers in hospitals throughout uh, different countries or in refugee camps. I think it on the one side gives us this satisfaction because that's the reason why we started everything, because we wanted to create a um, solution and product which benefits people. And on the other side, it's not only the satisfaction, but it's, it's maybe even more this being connected to them somehow. Although we probably don't know a single person who is using our face shield, we still feel like that somebody's out there and putting this on every day. And we have been a small part in, 
in this chain that this face shield ended up at this at this place uh, with this person. What does resilience mean to you after having gone through this experience? We have been in the lucky positions that we had a team and we had the, most of the resources we needed to to be able to adapt. I think it also means for us now to be connected on one level with people globally, but then to be able to locally be resilient uh, and have the right tools to actually do something or change something or be part of something which maybe wasn't that clear or, or that a strong focus of us before COVID. This was a very interesting conversation and it brought home to me a few key points that we often discuss around trade and environment. The first one is the importance of trade to get sustainability solutions and products to where they are needed the most. The second one is the importance of creativity and innovation. Trade is really done by people. And it's only because of his innovation and also this community of plastics crafts people that he is developing that it makes now viable to recycle plastics that otherwise would be wasted. And finally, just how trade barriers can also impact important action on environment and health. That brings us to what is happening now at the WCO, specifically on plastics. Since last year, a group of WCO members started an informal dialogue on plastic pollution and environmentally sustainable plastics trade. And they are looking at many of those questions, how trade, trade policy and the WCO can support all of these efforts across the world that are happening to try and address plastic pollution. Now, of course, Surin's story also has an important medical goods element to it. And to help us understand better this element, we've invited our colleague Simon Neumüller to talk a little bit about his work. Hi, Daniel. My name is Simon Neumüller. I'm of German origin, but I have been transformed in many different places. I work in the WTO's Market Access Division on everything relating to tariffs, non-tariff measures such as import and export restrictions, and also on rules of origin. These are the criteria that determine the country of origin of a product. And uh, could you talk to us a little bit about how the pandemic has influenced trade in medical goods? What have you seen? What has changed with the COVID shock? When the pandemic really started to hit, what we saw is uh, not only businesses closed, but also ports and airports closed. And as a result, trade really came almost to a standstill. When you look at overall trade numbers for, let's say, 2020, the first year we saw the pandemic, we saw that trade went down by slightly more than 7%. But then at the same time, as we would expect, trade in medical goods really increased. And that is so by more than 16%. So you would say that trade started to be part of the story of the COVID shock and maybe of the solution in a sense. Exactly. I mean, as we all know, though our world is interconnected and not all countries produce all the goods that are available. So, for example, when it comes to COVID-19 test kits, diagnostic reagents, face masks, disinfectants, all those products are traded globally. So for this trade was a big answer to the problem. And how did this new trend or new dynamic affect your work? Because I'm not sure you were tracking the trading of PPEs before. How did it change what you were doing on a daily basis? We all had to adjust to the new normal very quickly. So as we all know, it was a bit difficult in the beginning, but uh, we adjusted very quickly. 
And as the pandemic hit, what we saw is that many measures started to pop up left and right. We saw import facilitating measures that make it easier to import, such as lowering tariffs. But then we also saw quite many export restricting measures that made it harder for some goods to be traded. So what we did at the WTO, we created a task force in order to monitor the whole situation and to keep track of what is happening. So with this data, we wrote several reports on COVID-19 and trade, and we analyzed some of the most important bottlenecks in the realm of trade. And to increase the availability of vaccines and uh, to combat the pandemic, we also wrote several uh, pieces that explain what might be some of the solutions in terms of trade. Was it easy to track the new trends or what were the obstacles that you found in trying to identify this new area of trade that was emerging? In principle, many of those measures have a notification requirement at the WTO. But uh, since everybody was trying to battle uh, the pandemic, some of the information was simply not getting to places where it was needed the most. And hence, we proactively gathered all the information that, is, that we could find, both formally and informally. Throughout the year, we've seen that many of those measures have been phased out since. About half of the export restrictions uh, that have been introduced earlier are still in force. On the contrary, many of the trade facilitating measures are still there. So there's both a, a positive and still somewhat of a negative side to the story. Maybe you could speak a little bit about the importance of keeping this trade open and predictable. We, we heard a little bit uh, in the interview how the uh, companies started uh, exporting this personal protective equipment and how it was able to reach those markets because it had a certification by the uh, or that it was compliant with WHO requirements. How important it is to keep those uh, trade lines open? Medical goods trade, and even more so trade in COVID-19 vaccines, are dependent on highly specific intermediate inputs. These products are scarce, and even more so in a pandemic. Trade restrictions further reduce the availability of these products, they increase prices, and hence they also reduce production. From an individual perspective, those restrictions might seem to be a good idea, but collectively, they are a problem. And uh, without restraint, this could lead to a domino effect where trade in the most relevant goods to fight with COVID could dry out. This is also why some of the proposals that are currently discussed at the WTO call for an implementation of any such restricting measures to limit market disruptions, to be targeted, transparent, proportionate and temporary and be fully consistent with WTO obligations. And taking a step back, uh, how do you think these supply chains uh, will adapt in the future? There are several calls to further diversify vaccine production, for example, at the global level, so that countries are less dependent on trade. And uh, we have also seen uh, that having several different types of COVID-19 vaccines seems to be a good strategy to react to those emerging variants that we have to deal with now. However, diversification also has its limit, since it might lead to inefficiencies and also to increased costs that could be prohibitive for some countries to access vaccines in general. What I found fascinating about Søren's interview is that he uh, 
basically gave us a concrete example of what we've been discussing about here, uh, how innovation and people brought solutions in a time of crisis and used trade to get those solutions where they were needed. Was there anything in particular that caught your attention in the interview? I know that you specifically spoke about resilience at a later part in the interview. To be honest, I was thinking about resilience from early on. Because Plasticpreneur is a small company that has a simple idea. It's how to produce products that are used locally by using some small-scale machinery while reducing plastic waste. And what I found key, to train also the local population on how to use those machines. And uh, to me, the team behind Plasticpreneur is truly driven by their business idea and they have overcome some of the typical problems that small companies have. They have seen how it is to start exporting to a new destination. They've seen how difficult this might be. And also this thing about face shields that he mentioned, that they were able to really adapt rapidly to uh, the new product regulations and to change their production. This I found really, really interesting. So for me, this resilience of Plasticpreneur is really what I find astounding. That's fascinating, Simon. Thank you very much for sharing your expertise with us. Back to you, Yudi. Thank you for listening. A big thanks to Søren Lex for sharing his story and to Simon Neumüller for talking to us. And of course, special thanks to Daniel Ramos for hosting this episode. To learn more about other stories of resilience, visit the WTO's public forum page. Subscribe to our podcast in your favorite platform and help spread the word. Also check out our Let's Talk Trade video series in the WTO website and social media platforms. Until next time.